How do you normally start cooking? Olive oil, right? Well, I have great news for you. This podcast is also brought to you by California Olive Ranch, expertly crafted extra version olive oil. Go to CaliforniaOliveRanch.com and enter the promo code CHICKENS10, that's one word, CHICKENS10, to receive 10% off your entire first purchase. The offer is available through December 31st. California Olive Ranch, discovery starts in the bottle. Let's start the show. Pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. Shredu rou pian. Olá, olá! Como é que é? Is this weird? Maybe. Welcome back for another episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My name is David G. Martins, and I'm the executive chef for the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C. And as always, just in case this is your first time listening, let me explain to you why my podcast has this exceptional name. I'm originally from Portugal, and I've been living in Washington, D.C. for the last nine years. And the name of the podcast refers to two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience, and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded all expectations. I'll be asking my guests if you've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes. Every episode I'll have a guest and we'll talk about everything related to food, not necessarily ingredients or dishes, but how through food we can help communities, the success of small business owners, the fascinating stories that we remember growing up with our family sitting around the table, and even what's the best breakfast ever. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast on all the platforms you have access to. Follow me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes and follow the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. If you want to support this podcast, go to anchor.fm slash david-martins. Also, I want to mention that some interviews were recorded in a different microphone, so sometimes if the interview has a different audio, that's the reason. I hope you enjoy listening to every episode and don't forget I'm Portuguese, so if you don't understand something, it's not my fault. I'm very excited for my guest today, self-taught in the culinary world, author of three books, Simple Summer, A Recipe for Cooking and Entertaining, Seasons to Taste, Farm Fresh, Joy for the Kitchen and Table, Fresh and Magical Vinaigrettes. He's a storyteller, author, and cook. He has given over 800 live appearances on local TV networks, farmer market demos, business events, live Instagrams. Later in the year, Jonathan's Kitchen debuts on Amazon Prime. In his own words, he brings people together through food because basically everybody eats. Jonathan Bartzik, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much to be a pleasure to be here. How are you today? Fantastic. And you? I'm very good. Thank you. Two very important questions. The first question is, have you ever been to Portugal? I have not. Uh, yes. Very briefly, flying home from my honeymoon, we landed at the at Brajas uh, briefly on our way through from Madrid. So that, that doesn't count technically, does, right? Yeah, and I would love to go to Portugal. Do you know any Portuguese words? I don't. It's okay. So, Jonathan, in 2011, you were working as a marketing director, and you did your first farmer's market demonstration when it was, like, super hot and humid in D.C. And then three years later, you basically commit yourself 100% to the food world. What was the biggest challenge for you in that transition? initial year of getting used to getting ready to jump off that cliff. You know, the money at the end of the day is is scary, but you sort of settle into that. I think it is, it's wrapping your head around the fact that you are suddenly going to have a day that you are scheduling yourself 100%, that you are funding your life 100%. No one is, you know, there's no two-week paycheck showing up anymore. 
and in doing that, I really started probably a full year before I made the decision. And I must have had a million conversations. I'm, I'm sure I have friends who have, have terrible memories of that year of me just talking about this over and over. But at the end, by the time I got to jumping off the cliff, it felt like a foregone conclusion. So see, I come from a country that I think nowadays things are changing in the world a little bit. But if you are, imagine you graduated as an engineer or an architect, that's your job until you retire. We don't have, I think money might be other issue in, in Portugal that we don't have the flexibility to one day say, you know what, I don't want this anymore for my life. And it's one of the things that I've been in DC for the last nine years and amazed me how easy to an extent, of course, people have to, you know, make some sacrifices, but how easy it is for people to have so-called the second career or after 20 years be like, you know what, I just, I can't do that. You know, it's one of the things that I love most about having made this change is that very few days look the same. On the other hand, there are, there are moments where I realize that there is sort of an emotional drain sometimes in not having any two days the same. I mean, you really can wake up in the morning and go, so what's today going to look like? And I, I don't know if that involves making any money. Yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, I know I'm I'm 100% in control of my destiny, and there's a lot of satisfaction there. Are you a big planner in general or no? Yes and no. I think I find a lot of comfort in planning. I like to know where I'm headed. On the other hand, i really comfortable walking into an environment and just letting things fly. You know, I think the way I approach cooking demos is probably the best example of this. So if you were to bring me into the embassy to do a cooking demonstration tomorrow, I would ask you a million questions about how much time we had and what the environment was going to be like and what the equipment was like. And I, I would want to know every single detail I could. The one thing I would have no idea about at the end of the day is who was walking in the room and what I was going to say from moment to moment. I wouldn't know if burner didn't get quite as hot as I expected it to and a dish was taking five minutes longer and I had to fill that time with an audience. I'm And I love that part of it. I am. My instinct is to lock down every single detail that I can to control every detail I can, but then recognize that there will always be details I have zero control over, and you you just have to walk in the room and get ready to react to them. And there is there's a rush from that. What's the biggest joy you have from the live demonstrations? And at the same time, what's the most difficult thing for you? I love connecting with people. There is, I can be having the worst day. I can be completely exhausted. It can be 100 degrees and humid out. And that first person walks up in front of my table and I everything else disappears. And I'm just happy to be talking with them and cooking for them. I, I also love the connection to the farmers. You know, it's great ahead of the demo to walk around and you, you see familiar faces and you're talking to them about their ingredients the biggest challenge is probably the amount of energy that it takes. It's uh, to get out there and you're, I, I'm literally popping up a kitchen on a patch of grass or a sidewalk somewhere. So before I get there, there's no kitchen. I have to bring the entire thing with me and, and put it together. And you never quite know what all those variables are going to be. So it's, it's, I come home tired, but every single minute I'm there, I love it. And it's all worth it. How can you convince someone that's on a budget that is better to buy local or, or a farmer's market, even if it's going to cost more? First off, the, the, I mean, there are a few reasons that it's so important to me. One, the quality is so much better. 
two, it is it's really connected, and I feel like there is there's a lot of soft value in that that is so measurable in my life. You are you're connected to the people that you're buying it from. I very often talk about the fact that if I go to a grocery store and come home and cook, those ingredients better taste good, and the results of my cooking better be delicious because that's all of the pleasure that I'm getting from that experience. It's fun to pick up my own veggies, but the grocery store is not a particularly joyful experience. When I go to a farm market, I get to have conversations with people. I get to see the other shoppers. I am in a beautiful environment. And this food has has meaning in terms of the time of the year and what's happened with the weather. And so by the time I get home and hit the kitchen, I've already derived a lot of pleasure from that food even before I cook it. So I think that is, that's immeasurable and invaluable. When it comes to finances, we're all working with budgets. And so I think that we've got to make decisions about what we can and cannot afford. You know, even if you just go to the farm market for really good tomatoes and maybe some fresh salad greens, and you need to go pick up your chicken thighs on sale from the grocery store, you still you're you're building that value into your experience. So I fully recognize that it would be great to you know go to the most expensive farm market in the city, and some are cheaper than others, and you know spend two hundred dollars to get a week's worth of groceries. If you have a hundred bucks, then you know you figure out how to make that work. And and I think that it's critical that we feel no shame around this. That food for me is a way for us to access joy. And the second it stops being that changed something. So we absolutely, again, if, if all you can afford is, you know, a dollar bag of beans and, and a few fresh herbs and whatever meat is on sale that week, you can still put an amazing meal on the table and you should feel great about that. But the, the luxury of a farm market when it's there, I think just delivers so much joy, so much satisfaction. Get so used to the commoditization of food and the idea that, you know, a peach is a peach is a peach and a flower is flour, eggs are eggs. And we just go look for the lowest price point. And when you start tasting these ingredients, there's such a difference between a really good farm fresh egg and sort of factory raised egg. I mean, that you find in the grocery store, the flavor difference, even the physical structure of the egg, you know, they're fresher at a farm market. And so the whites hold cling much more tightly to the yolks for things like poaching, getting those fresh eggs. You know, when I hear people say, gosh, I can't poach an egg. Well, it's really hard to poach a grocery store egg because it's 30 to 60 days old and it is just going to spread out in that water you know, a two-week-old egg, a one-week-old egg makes all the difference when you're trying to do that. Do you know, actually, we don't refrigerate eggs in Portugal? Yeah, I, well, I think America is the only country that does, right? And milk as well. You can buy uh, milk, well, we don't sell it by the gallon, but we buy basically package of milk and you live in a pantry. Almost like store-bought, you can buy almond milk and leave it in your pantry. You can do the same thing with regular milk and eggs. They're never, never refrigerated. You just... Live it in your pantry or whatever. What was your first memory of taste? Gosh, what is the first thing that really stood out for me? I mean, I think of a lot of fresh produce. We, My mom cooked a lot of zucchini when I was a kid. She grew it in the garden. And if you've ever grown zucchini, you know that one plant is far too many for a family. So we would be eating a lot of it all summer long. And one of my favorite dishes that she made, she would 
grated down. She called them zucchini pancakes. They were essentially zucchini latkes. And so she would she would grate it down and just mix it in with a little bit of I think she used bisquick. I used potato starch today and, and a little bit of uh, Parmesan cheese and some garlic and fresh herbs. So that is definitely an early flavor memory. Fresh corn off the cob. My dad did a PhD in plant and soil science. His his PhD thesis had to do with with corn, and so he. We took corn very seriously. So when I was a kid, we would bring corn home. My dad would already have my mom put a, a pot of boiling water on, and we'd pull in the driveway. I'd, I'd shuck it quickly, and it was so sweet, we'd eat it without any butter or salt. I have to admit, corn, there's a few ingredients that it's just so funny how cultural, as much as it sounds obvious, like we are not a corn country. Does that make sense? You don't, you're not going to have a lot of road trips and you see a bunch of corn like in the U.S. growing. So corn is something that I still have to acquire the taste. People do say that you're, every seven years or so, you kind of start liking other things and stop liking things. And corn hasn't done yet for me. I'll probably get there. I'll probably get this, but corn hasn't done it for me yet. But anyway, what's the most underrated ingredient for you? Vinegar. I, I think Americans are, are really freaked out about salt. We, I think we under-season most of our cooking. Yes. I think after salt, the next thing missing for most American cooking is acidity. I cannot think of the last dish that I cooked that I did not finish without a little bit of acidity. And for me, I mean, lemon juice is wonderful, but lemon is such a distinct flavor. We really We know when it's in a dish. And so if I don't want to call out the acidity, if I want it to just kind of sit in the background and brighten things up, I usually will go for vinegar. And fortunately, in, in the U.S., there's been this increased interest in, in sort of small batch production, fermentation, and, and vinegars. So we have a couple of great producers who sell locally here in D.C. I think I probably have 30 different vinegars on the shelf at home. But yeah, definitely vinegar. The salt, I see that in classes with the way people season things. People are, I mean, it's a genuine fear about salting things. We don't use spices in Portugal. We basically only use more salt and pepper. That's basically it. But we go very heavy on the salt and pepper. I'm not sure how our cholesterol levels are, but uh, here in the U.S., clearly there is a, um, a fear about salt. Do you know when did it start? Do you have an idea why? I know why it started. It's, it's packaged, processed, and prepared foods. It, it comes heavily from USDA and the American Heart Association. Um, I, I've talked to a nutritionist about this, and they said, look, all of the health problems that come from high sodium levels are coming from packaged, processed, and prepared foods. If most of what we were eating we were preparing at home, we'd be fine. And in fact, uh, I, I had one person say to me, food will taste too salty to you before it gets to an unhealthy level. Um, I was just, uh, there. Uh, a classic example of this for me are San Marzano tomatoes, the, the you know, these, these well-known Italian canned tomatoes. If you buy them canned and processed from Italy, you will see 25 to 40 milligrams of sodium per serving. If you buy the San Marzano cultivar of tomato canned and processed here in the U.S., you'll very often see 350 to 400 milligrams of sodium and there's no taste difference. So yeah. we somehow pack all of this sodium into food without tasting it, which again, if you're cooking from scratch, you can't do that. So I, I think 
I mean, my advice to people is stop undersalting these really good, healthy dishes that you're preparing at home uh, and just leave the bag of chips at the grocery store. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Do you think we'll ever change the fact that, you know, so heavy on sodium, you know, all these processed uh, foods? Do you think we'll ever change or it's it just already so far that it's very difficult to control? I think there's a big movement towards changing how we eat. I worry that we have focused too much on individual details and not the big picture. So we, you know, we worry about GMOs, we worry about organic and, you know, you go by this heavily processed food that is labeled organic and you go, well, but it's organic. Well, yeah, but it's still garbage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so I, you know, the, the, the love affair with farm markets that has grown over the last decade, I think, you know, if there is any upside to all of this time that we're spending at home right now, people are cooking a lot more. And, and I think over the last two generations, a lot of Americans sort of broke that chain, that, that history of passing basic culinary knowledge down from, you know, parents to children, family through families. So I think we're learning how to cook again, and, and that may get us to the point where we put down some of the package and process ingredients and eating more from scratch. And then I think if we get used to that at home, we'll start expecting it more from our restaurants. Do you think as a lifestyle, like one of the things I always think it's interesting, I cannot say the word, I cannot use the word weird. I'm just going to say interesting. I remember one day I was going to work very early and then in, here in the US and in Portugal, you know, everybody goes to a little coffee. There we have like millions of coffee shops, right? We have like 18 million in one street. And because everybody stops there, or I would say 85% or 90% of people in Portugal stop there to have their little coffee, a little espresso and a little pastry. And that's the breakfast. And they read the newspaper and they talk with people, which here, when I say in the U.S., might be unthinkable. In the area where we live, in D.C., people don't do that at all. You know, it's always the grab and go. And I remember it was like 5.30 a.m. I was stopped stop at, uh, at a stoplight and I look at my side and there was someone just eating oatmeal in a car in just super fast pace, right? And I was thinking in my head, I was like, what are we doing here? Why are we eating oatmeal in a car? And... Maybe it's a lifestyle thing, as you say, right? But for me, it's those simple things that are so interesting. How, why don't we just want to like just stop for five minutes, eat your oatmeal, and then you go? But the whole idea, you know, you drive with one hand and you're eating your oatmeal with agave and blueberries on the other, is just very bizarre to me that people do that. And, but it's very normal. One of, I think, one of the upsides of being at home is we're not losing that one to two hours a day in commuting. And so I think a lot of people are discovering that joy of getting up in the morning and making a cup of coffee and, you know, checking the news. Uh, and making bread. Yeah, making bread, having the time to sit at a table and eat that oatmeal. Hoping maybe that we, we fall in love with that enough. Um, I, you know, there's also, I hear a lot of conversations among friends about, how many people will go back to that crazy life of rolling out of bed at the last possible minute and, you know, doing your makeup in the car on the way to work while you eat your breakfast. If we can, if we can take some of these big time sucks like commutes out of our days, you know, you can, you're still working the same number of hours and, and at work, you know, you are still probably working six or seven hours a day in amidst coffee breaks and talking to coworkers and running out and grabbing lunch. 
But when you're home, you can put that time into having a healthy lunch, into sitting out on the front porch and, and taking a coffee break and just breathing some fresh air. The most overrated ingredient for you? Sugar. I think sugar is overrated. And and not not sweetness, but we obviously America has a huge problem with adding sugar to things. You know, we, we have obesity and, and diabetes epidemics here. But I think that we we don't celebrate bitterness enough and, and we balance, we we cover it up too much with sugar. Best breakfast ever that you can have. I love sausage and eggs. Up at, you know, six o'clock, six thirty every day, but I, I very often do some work, go out for a, a long walk in the morning to get some exercise. Yeah, I I love pancakes, I love pastries, but at the end of the day, I love eggs. And a, a well-made French omelet or a, a really slow, delicate scramble is just a beautiful way to eat an egg. What's the strangest combination? I've heard a lot of different combinations in the U.S. What's the most WTF combination for you that you're like, I just can't? The donut hamburger. <laughs> the donut hamburger, yes. <laughs> I was actually talking to a, a fermenter. Uh, there are a couple who used to be pastry chefs here in D.C., and and they were working in sort of the American bistro scene. So a lot of farm-to-table. But they said when he came to desserts, it was all about going over the top. How much sugar and fat could you throw on top of more sugar and fat, right? It's, it's the... You know, it's the donut wrapped in the chocolate, wrapped in the deep fried field. I mean, the, the burger in a donut is the same thing to me. Not that I don't like a little sweetness. There's a restaurant in town that used to have a hamburger with a um, with peanut butter on it that was delicious. So I, that sweetness up against beef isn't a bad thing. But yeah, it's just like, why? Yeah. <laughs> Doing it just for the sake of adding, uh, of seeing how far you can push craziness. So the name of the podcast is Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. It's actually two separate Portuguese quotes. So turning chickens basically means someone that has a lot of experience. And breaking dishes basically means that you succeed expectations. So we've been spent our time here together talking about the chickens that you've been turning. So now tell me what dishes have you you have been breaking? I think building a career without any formal training has has definitely been that for me. I res I had the greatest respect for training. I, I am very cautious to say I don't call myself a chef because I'm not a formally trained chef. Being a chef is, is both about cooking. It's also about managing a business, right? Managing kitchen, managing production. And, and I don't do that in that commercial sense for a living. But definitely, I, I think one of the biggest challenges that I had to go through emotionally in just getting myself out of bed every day rather than pulling the covers back over my head was saying, doesn't matter that you don't have a degree. It doesn't matter. You don't have this, this experience and this training. You can still create this business. You can still create this life for yourself. At the very end of the podcast, there's a other Portuguese quote, tell your fish. So sell your fish basically to talk about you just to wrap it up. Where can people find you, you know, your socials, your website. So can people can check it out. Sure. So my home base is jonathanbardzik.com. My blog is there. So lots of recipes. You can find out about my cookbooks and my upcoming TV show there. 
On social media, I spend most of my time on Instagram and Facebook, little time on Twitter, and those accounts are all at Jonathan Bardzik. It's all my name. Search for me, and uh, and you'll find all of it. Well, Jonathan, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely, Chef. Thank you so much for having me. And my pleasure. Thank you very much for coming. Did you like that interview? Me too. Thank you very much for listening to the episode. Don't forget I release an episode every Tuesday and Friday of each week, so stay tuned all the time. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast. If you have any questions, my email address is info at turningchickensandbreakingdishes.com. Tell your friends all about the chickens we are turning and the dishes we are breaking. I would love for you to send me a message and perhaps ask me a question that I can answer on the Embassy Chef's Corner feature that I do periodically. Or find me also on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes, on the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash david-martins. Have an amazing day. Adios.